If you would, please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to Paul's letter to the Galatians. We are here now on week 18 as we work our way through these six chapters. As we turn to God's word, let's turn to him and ask his, for his assistance as we pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've not left us alone to find our way home, but you've given us um, a map and a compass. Father, we pray that your word and spirit would be at work. Open our hearts to your word and open your word to our hearts today. Father, may your word before us be our rule, your Holy Spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we're at week 18 in our series, The Gospel According to the Bible, an exposition of the letter to the Galatians. In Mark's Gospel, we focused on the questions, who is Jesus? What did Jesus come to do? And and how should someone respond to the person and work of Jesus? And here in Galatians, the prime question is what is the gospel? And for for four chapters, Paul has been unfolding the gospel. He had to defend his his gospel ministry, his apostolic calling in the first two chapters. And then chapters three and four, he opened up before us the basics of the gospel, primarily justification by faith alone in Christ alone. But as we are moving toward the end, as we're in this application section, we're seeing also that, um, that... another question to ask and will be answered is what are the implications of the gospel? How is the gospel truth worked out in everyday life? And we're, we're seeing that. We're reminded that the gospel both establishes and matures us individually and us as a church. The gospel is that one message that believer and unbeliever need to hear. It's not just the entrance to the Christian life, it's the freeway on which the Christian life travels. Remember again, Peter in Acts 2, he proclaims the gospel to unbelievers. And here in the letter to the Galatians, Paul is proclaiming the gospel to professing believers. Paul is writing this letter because the gospel is threatened. There's a clear and present danger. Paul can't get back. He writes a letter. Again, the outline is the first two chapters are autobiography. The the third and fourth chapters are a theology, the theological defense of the gospel message. Remember, the gospel was under attack because false teachers were not saying that faith in Christ is not necessary. They were saying that faith in Christ is not enough. And we saw Paul draw that distinction between Christ and circumcision. Circumcision representing other things that had to be done in order to be right with God. And here in chapters 5 and 6, it's ethics, the practical application of the gospel message. So Paul moves again from theological exposition to practical theological application. And where does he start? Look with me again at the beginning of chapter 5. Where does he start? What is his first point? We read in verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul has to start somewhere and he starts with 
freedom. A few weeks ago, we, we spent some time thinking about America and freedom. You know, my country, uh, tis of the sweet land of liberty, of how in our Declaration of Independence, these United Colonies ought to be free and independent states. One of our uh, forefathers, give me liberty or give me death. But we're not talking about faith and freedom as it applies to some civil religion in the United States. We're talking about the faith and freedom that comes from the Lord, the biblical faith and the biblical freedom that Paul is talking about. Remember the theme of Galatians can really be found in chapter 2, verse 16, where three times in one verse, Paul speaks of justification by faith alone. And Martin Luther saw this and he makes that interesting comment that because people are, are easily forget this and don't want to believe this, we need to beat it into our heads continually. And you will see as this letter unfolds, Paul continues to circle back to justification by faith alone. Now, have you picked up on it yet? That this doctrine of justification by faith alone leads to freedom. It leads to freedom. It's almost as if you could say the book of Galatians could be organized by faith and freedom. It's that connected. Paul makes an interesting statement in verse 6. It's, it's a breathtaking statement. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. This justification by faith alone is working through love. Faith energizes love. And as we mentioned last week, at its heart, love is self-giving. Paul is going to make it clear as this letter continues that this faith, this faith that, that leads to love, love operates in the arena of freedom. In the first 12 verses of chapter 5, Paul is saying this, don't lose gospel freedom by slipping back into legalism and works righteousness. Then, beginning in verse 13, he will say, don't abuse gospel freedom. Don't lose it, don't abuse it. And we'll talk a bit more about those two ditches. I mentioned a moment ago Martin Luther and his commentary on the book of Galatians. Well, in 1520, Luther wrote a series of three books. And one of them was called The Freedom of the Christian Man. I mean, you can even see of the very title of that separate book that Luther is being influenced by what Paul has been, uh, is speaking about here in Galatians. Now he makes this provocative statement at the beginning of this short book, which at first glance seems almost incomprehensible. Here's what he said. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Did you hear that? Here it is once again. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Well, what we have here is a paradox. The Christian is both free 
and a servant. Now, I had to look up some synonyms for paradox because kids, do you use that word a lot? Paradox? Well, here's some synonyms. Inconsistency, absurdity, irony, contradiction, oxymoron, enigma, puzzle, impossibility. Well, I needed to go beyond synonyms. I needed some good definitions to help me. So here's a couple of good definitions. Paradox. A seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. Another definition, a tenet contrary to received opinion, a statement that is seemingly contradictory or opposed to common sense and yet is perhaps true. Well, we're going to investigate, we're going to explain and joyfully discover that this is indeed true. In our text today, we will see this paradox revealed as Paul declares that a Christian is now free to serve. Join with me as I read verses 13 through 15 of chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's start by looking at the first part of verse 13. You were called to freedom. And the accent here first is you were called. If you look back in Galatians in chapter 1 verse 6, Paul speaks of God who called you in the grace of Christ. He speaks in verse 15 of that same chapter as himself as who called me by his grace. And here Paul picks up again this idea, this truth of calling. Paul wants us to remember, readers then and now, that the Christian life does not begin with our decision to follow Christ, but rather with God's call of us. To be sure, God gives us faith, but we do the believing. He opens our eyes, but we do the seeing. He opens our ears, but we do the hearing. God takes the initiative in grace. We were in rebellion and sin, and we neither wanted nor were able to turn from our sin to Christ. But God, two of the greatest words put together in Scripture, but God. We generally can't see it at the time, but it's only after the fact that we see God change us. I, I like the hymn that we sometimes sing, I sought the Lord and afterward I knew He moved my soul to seek Him, seeking me. It was not I that sought the Lord, no. It was the Lord who sought me. So there's the first accent, you were called. But let's look at another accent, you were called to freedom. You are called to freedom. Go back to verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Makes sense then, right? For you were called to freedom. Paul is picking back up on that same idea. 
Now this concept of Christian freedom is easy to misunderstand and it can be misleading. So Paul is going to assert and then he's going to define. He's going to write to clear up communication or clear up misconceptions. He's going to write to protect irresponsible abuse. Thus far in Galatians, we've seen freedom, meaning peace with God, a cleansing of a guilty conscience, a joy of forgiveness, access to God, sonship, the experience of mercy without merit. Paul is warning, though, that there are dangers and threats to freedom. He's been warning against legalism as he starts off chapter 5, and now he's going to warn against license. In Charlotte, North Carolina, not too far away uh, from where I uh, grew up, I remember uh, at times driving on Freedom Drive. I think it was near Freedom High School. Freedom Drive. And the more that I thought about that, I I thought, you know what? That's pretty good because there is a Freedom Road that the Christian is on. But there's a ditch on both sides. On the right side, so to speak, there's legalism. Paul has been addressing the ditch of legalism. And now he's switched over to the left side, license. Both are ditches alongside the road of freedom. And both, as Paul recognizes and and communicates, are threats to the believer. Christian freedom is freedom from the awful bondage of attempting to merit the favor of God. However, it is not, as Paul will most clearly say, not freedom from pleasing God. In these verses, Paul declares to his reader that while the Christian, while Christian liberty or Christian freedom is freedom from sin, it is by no means freedom to sin. And in order to help us grow in our understanding of what freedom in the life of the Christian is, we're going to approach the text through a consideration of what Christian freedom is not. As we explore this freedom in three dimensions or three relationships to yourself, to your neighbor, and to your God. Again, we're going to look at what Christian freedom, Christian liberty is by considering what it is not. First of all, Christian liberty is not freedom to indulge the flesh. We see that. In the second part of verse 13. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Well, what do we mean when we speak of the flesh? Well, what we mean is not this flesh that, you know, if I cut my skin it bleeds. No, not that, but fallen human nature. The corrupt human nature in all of its weakness, in all of its depravity. Beginning in verse 16, where we will pick up next week and continue, you will see this conflict between the flesh and the spirit. Well, what do we mean when we speak of an opportunity for the flesh? One translation says, do not use this to indulge the flesh. The word, interestingly, has a military context. It means to serve as a base of operations. A a, a forward operating base, as it were. In other words, do not use freedom to establish a base from which you can launch into sin. 
If you're like me, you struggle with sin. To be sure, God is making us more and more like Jesus. We are saying no to sin and yes to righteousness. But, but have you ever thought about how God protects you when you make wise decisions not to place yourself in danger? Have you thought about that? That, that sin, um, there's the temptation, but then there's the opportunity. And here Paul is saying, don't create an opportunity for sin to launch. Don't create this base of operations for your flesh, the fallen sinful nature that continues to at times exercise, as it were, limited power in your life. Don't, don't say I'm free to now sin. Because the use of freedom in this way really is enslavement. It's the addiction to the desires of the fallen nature. And Paul addresses this more in Romans. Throughout his letters, Paul in Ephesians and Colossians and Romans, he's talking about putting off and putting on. Uh, he, he starts off with the great indicative of the gospel. You are now in Christ. But then he comes with the imperative. Now, be what you are. Put sin to death. How about you? Are you right now, and we'll see this in the coming weeks, are, are you conscious of the war with sin? Are you actively resisting sin? Are you, like any of us, are you tempted to, to presume upon God's grace? I know God will forgive me, so I'll really... I know it's wrong, but Paul is reminding us that freedom, freedom is from sin. It's not freedom to sin. Freedom is not to be used to indulge in the flesh. Rather, this freedom is the exercise of self-control. We'll see that more as we look at the fruit of the Spirit. But freedom is not also to be used to exploit someone else. We looked at the freedom as it relates to ourselves. Let's look now at freedom as it relates to someone else because Christian liberty is not freedom to exploit your neighbor. Look with me at how he continues verse 13. But through love serve one another. But through love serve one another. Sometimes people will use the excuse of breaking any number of commandments in the interest of love. Well, that's not loving. But Paul is making it really clear that this love, that, that we fulfill the law as we love one another. Notice that the avenue of service is through love. He could have said this, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another. That makes sense, right? Don't be self-centered. Don't be um, consumed by yourself and your desires. But, you know, think about others. You know, serve others. But what does he say? Through love. Go back to verse 6. Only faith working 
through love. Do you see the relationship? Faith and love, faith and uh, service, love. And what does it mean to serve one another through love? Take a moment now, a moment, 10 seconds, and think with me in your minds, what does serving someone else in love look like? Think about a close relationship, a spouse, a child, a sibling, a parent, a neighbor, a coworker. Think just a moment, silently by yourself, what does it mean or what does it look like to serve that person through love? Well, I hope you were able to think of something, but I needed some help. And so in my continued study, I ran across what Martin Luther said about this particular verse. He says, according to Luther, um, uh, through love, serving one another means this, quote, performing unimportant works such as the following, teaching the erring, comforting the afflicted, encouraging the weak, helping the neighbor in whatever way one can, bearing with his rude manners and impoliteness, putting up with annoyances, labors, and ingratitude and contempt of men in both church and state, obeying the magistrates, treating one's parents with respect, being patient in the home with a cranky wife and an unmanageable family and the like. Luther is pretty precise in his theology and he's pretty humorous as well. Love. Love. No expectation for being repaid, but love. Don't use this as an opportunity to indulge the flesh, but through love serve one another. Paul is going to help us later flesh that out. What is love? What does it look like? How do we serve one another through love? Indeed, this brings back the paradox of the Christian life. This serve one another, in its original language, it's be a slave. Look at this. But through love, be a slave of one another. In other words, be free in order to be a slave. Real liberty comes through slavery to God in Christ, as Paul writes in Romans 6, 22. Slavery to God means obedience to God, and obedience to God is summed up in one word. Love. John 14, 21, if you love me, you'll obey my commands, Jesus said. Love is constructive. It builds up. Paul is saying you are free now. Through love to serve. A few years ago, Southwest Airlines had a great ad. I loved it. You remember? They're on the plane and you hear the butt or you hear the bell go off and it says, You are now free to move about the country, right? Love that ad. You know, want, want to get away? That was a good ad too, but this was, you are now free to move about the country. Well, here Paul is saying, You are now free to serve. And how do you serve? Primarily through the avenue of of love. Now in saying that Christian liberty is not freedom to exploit your neighbor, Paul is also saying in no uncertain terms that Christian liberty is not freedom to ignore or disregard the law of God. 
And he does that when he speaks of the whole law as being fulfilled in one word. Here the Old Testament meets the New Testament. He quotes Leviticus 19 again. Begins with, you shall be holy. God is holy. And it ends, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We see Jesus when responding to various questions about what is the greatest commandment. Jesus will talk about loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Here, when Paul says this law is fulfilled, it has reached its climax, it has reached its end. And as we looked at the Ten Commandments, if you think about it, what is it? Loving God and loving neighbor. Loving on the vertical, loving on the horizontal. No wonder Paul can say the whole law is summed up, is fulfilled in love your neighbor as yourself. This brings up a good time to to speak briefly of the three uses of the law. The three uses of the law. The law is like a mirror. It convicts us of sin. It points us to Christ. The law is a restraint. It restrains evil. It restrains sin in society. It's a civil use. And the third use of the law, it's a guide for Christians on how to live. I remember in our Sunday school class, I mentioned that the law is a multi-use tool. The law is really good at multitasking. Again, it's a mirror. It shows us our sin. It's a muzzle. It keeps us from doing wrong. And it's a map. It guides our conduct. And of the third use, Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century Baptist preacher in London said this, Law is the road which guides us, not the rod which drives us. And he's speaking of this law of love, this guide for the Christian. Here Paul is bringing up the motivation for our obedience. Because although we cannot gain acceptance by keeping the law, yet once we have been accepted, we keep the law out of love for Him who has accepted us and given us His Spirit to enable us to keep it. In other words, we obey not in order to be accepted, but we obey because we are accepted. Love your neighbor as yourself. The law is summed up there, but also opens up for a myriad, a wide variety of specific applications. Well, having spoken of the freedom of the Christian in three relationships, to self, to others, and to God, Paul then issues a strong warning. Look how he concludes in verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. In other words, if you bite and devour one another, that is, if you indulge the flesh, exploit your neighbor, disregard God's law, then watch out. It's vivid language. It's a scene of eating each other alive. One commentator who happens to be a professor down at Asbury Theological Seminary down at Wilmore, Kentucky, just south of Lexington, says this. This verse describes a clear progression. First, the animal bites the prey. Then it tears at the flesh of the victim. 
then it finally consumes its prey. There's a biting, there's a tearing, and there's a consuming. My friends, Paul is addressing some sort of conflict in the church. Something that he believes that these words of warning will be a blessing. If you're indulging in the flesh, if you're not loving one another, but rather exploiting one another, and primarily if you're just ignoring the law of God, not seeing it as a guide, not seeing it as the way to give thanks to God for His rescue. If that's the case, there is going to be self-destructive behavior, spiritual suicide, the death of a church's fellowship and witness. Whereas love is constructive, this, what Paul is describing, is destructive. John Calvin says this, when the devil tempts us to disputes, the disagreements of members within the church can lead to nothing but the ruin and, con and consumption of the whole body. How unhappy, how mad it is that we who are members of the same body should voluntarily conspire together for its mutual destruction. Do you think this is important? Do you think hearing that freedom is not indulging in the flesh, freedom is not exploiting the neighbor, freedom is not disregarding the law of God, this is where it leads. Think about your closest relationship. Has there ever been a conflict? What's the way out of conflict? Will you forgive me? I will forgive you. Let's pray together. Forgiveness. Prayer. Christian freedom is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. The two great enemies of freedom... Legalism and license. Legalism, losing freedom by going back to slavery. And license, abusing freedom by serving yourself and failing to serve one another. Paul is a freedom fighter. Paul is a freedom fighter as he fights these two great enemies of Christian freedom. Christians are freed from the law as a means to God, but we are not freed from the law as a way to please God. This freedom brings self-control, loving service to neighbor, and obedience to the law of God. We understand that we are to serve one another through love. And how do we do that? How do we serve one another through love? It is a difficult task. No, it's an impossible task. The only way to be free to serve is to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And that is what we will see as Paul will continue in chapter 5. Stand firm in freedom, Paul says. Neither fall back into slavery, into legalism, nor jump into license. Galatians is about the gospel, and the gospel devours the very motivation you and I have for sin. It completely saps the very need and reason to live any way that we want to live. Well, we began with a word about the paradox of Christian freedom. Let's end with a word about the ultimate paradox that we see in Scripture.
the life and death of Jesus Christ. Remember what Paul says in Philippians 2, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He writes to the Corinthian church, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Indeed, as we heard earlier, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. True freedom is not self-seeking or self-serving, but rather it is self-sacrificing. When Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, Jesus was calling us on the road to freedom. My friends, in Christ and in Christ alone, you have been freed from the condemnation of sin. You are now free. You are now free to serve one another through love by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, we acknowledge that we were so wicked and sinful that Jesus had to die for us. Yet we also acknowledge that we are so loved and treasured that Jesus was glad to die for us. Indeed, those who believe and trust in Jesus are the joy set before him as he headed to the cross. Father, we are amazed. Jesus took your curse so that we could receive your blessing. What an astounding exchange. Father, may your word that we have just heard take up residence in our life and change us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, our crucified and saving substitute and risen and reigning Lord. Father, be pleased to hear our prayer for your glory and for the good of your people now and forever. Amen.